I imagine for many of us, we always think that's another person. We think of a leader, we think of someone who's take charge, articulate, an expert, somebody everybody wants to follow. And especially when it comes to spiritual matters, sometimes I've seen people who own companies, who supervise even hundreds of employees, but when it comes to that spiritual realm, they don't feel they know their Bibles well enough or they don't pray enough that they sense that they can speak for God. And they kind of defer to those ordained and theologically trained pastors. But if you've been paying attention, especially to the promotions for the Leadership Summit, you'll notice they keep using a phrase over and over. They say that leadership is influence. Leadership is influence. And, and that changes the game a little bit. Because in that definition, most of us lead somewhere in some place. If you're a teacher, you may not consider yourself a leader, but you get in that room with students, you're in charge and you have so much influence over their lives, they will probably remember you the rest of their life. You may not hold any title at work. You may not be a supervisor, but if you've got any years of experience and you've done your job well, you will probably have people looking up to you. You are their mentor, whether you claim that title or not. And parents, those little children, you may take for granted that role, but that's incredibly important. You're leading these lives, and what you do, if you do that job well, you will be their hero forever. And who knows, perhaps you may consider your contribution to this world very small, but you might be raising somebody who's going to go out and change the world. And when you look at the scriptures, you'll notice that over and over, especially if you look at the faith verse this week, at those passages, you'll find that God often likes to choose very reluctant and unqualified leaders. Look at Jesus. He, he grabbed some fishermen to be among his disciples. It happens over and over again. And in the case that we share today, Moses is a prime example where he considers himself completely unqualified to take this role and comes up with all kinds of excuses to say, I am not the right person for this job. And he became the most important person in the history of Israel. He has to be considered one of the great leaders of all time. Without Moses, the Jewish people may have remained enslaved, would have lost their identity as a nation and even as a people. And remember, Jesus was a Jew. Where might that leave us as Christians? So I hope that we can identify this month with Moses. And today, I, I apologize to those of you who are graduates of Disciple Bible Study. and You know this story inside and out. But I need to recall some of the details about Moses and the story of Exodus. If we're going to appreciate and be able to identify with him when we think about this area of influence and leadership. So if you don't mind, we start with, from the beginning. And to start at the beginning, we need to go back to Joseph and for you music lovers, his amazing Technicolor dream coat. Okay, And remember what happened. Because of a famine in Israel, they had to migrate down to Egypt. And Joseph, who had had this place in the royal family, got them established. And it says that they remained there for many, many generations. But then a new Pharaoh came over the land who did not know this story. 
And he noticed that the Israelites continued to grow in population, so much so that they were afraid that they might outnumber the Egyptians someday. And so they tried some population control measures. They thought maybe if we just work them a little harder, <clears throat> they'll be too tired to come home and procreate. That didn't work. So then they doubled down their efforts and they took the straw away that helped make the bricks that they're using for the construction. But like rabbits, those Israelites just kept right on popping them out. So they tried bribing a couple midwives. They tell them, let the female babies live, but the males somehow make sure they die. But those midwives could not be bought out. They could not betray their people like that. So they came up with the excuse that these Hebrew women are so hardy, they pop them out before we can even get there. And so they continued to grow. And at that point, the Pharaoh drew the line and issued a decree that every male child that was born would be thrown into the Nile River. A genocide that reminds us of King Herod. Well, it so happens that that's when God started his long-range plan. When I say long-range, I mean 80 years long. And born to a Levite mother and father was a child so healthy and so beautiful that she could not hand that child over to the authorities. And so she made a basket out of reeds and put pitch around it so that it could float in the water, and she placed that child in the basket and trusted that child to God. And through God's providence, that child ended up floating right by where the Pharaoh's daughter happened to be bathing. When she sees this curious situation, she calls for that child to be grabbed and brought forward. And it just so happens that Moses' sister is walking along and knows somebody who could be nursing that child, who turns out to be Moses' mother, Jochebed. So Moses grows up in that family. Now, you might assume that growing up in that royal family was an idyllic childhood, but we have to wonder because we, we know a few things that's kind of curious about Moses and his name. Now, your Bible may say that um, he was named Moses because he was drawn up out of the water, which might have been a, a derivative from the Hebrew word masha, but it's kind of unlikely that Pharaoh's daughter would have given Moses a Hebrew name. She was Egyptian, after all. And one thing we know that about Mose, M-O-S-E, that in the Egyptian language, it means son of or born of. And we find a couple examples of that with a couple pharaohs. Tutmos was known as the son of the, the Egyptian god, Thut, and Ramses, would be Messus, a derivative of Mose, would be of the god Ra, the Egyptian god Ra, Ramses. Which means that Moses has no prefix, so he's the son of no one. Now consider either way what it was like for Moses growing up in the royal family. And remember, the Pharaoh would have had many wives, and so he was likely the butt of many jokes probably teased off and perhaps even bullied because either he was the one that was pulled out of a river or he was the one who was the son of no one. And that had to put a chip on Moses' shoulder. 
and it helps explain what happened next in our scriptures. When he's out among the land and observing his Hebrew peoples, he must have a sense of his own Hebrew identity, and he sees an Egyptian taskmaster severely beating one of his Hebrew and so he stops that by killing the taskmaster. He tries to secretly bury him in the sand, but apparently somebody saw. And word quickly gets back to Pharaoh, and so Moses has to flee. He flees out to the desert wilderness, to the land called Midian. It's a desert area that butts up against some low-rising mountains. And there while he's sitting at a well, drawing water in this one of the few oases in the areas, he sees seven daughters who come drawing water. They begin to get harassed by some shepherds, and so Moses intervenes and rescues them, makes sure they get the water they need. Now, I don't know if it's because he was Egyptian, but they didn't think to invite him home for dinner. So when they come home to tell their father about this story of this Egyptian, he says, well, go back and invite him to dinner. He knows that good men are hard to find. And so, I don't know how long it takes, but very quickly, he offers his daughter Sipporah as his wife. And so, Moses settles down. So, in the course of one month, Moses goes from a prince in Pharaoh's court to a married fugitive shepherd in the land of Midian. Well, it's during that time, a 40-year period, that we have very little told about Moses. Remember, his life would have consisted primarily of living in tents most of the year as a nomadic shepherd, taking his sheep, goats, maybe a couple camels, wherever they could find vegetation in that desert area. Not the greatest life. And it's while he's out and about that he sees this bush that continues to burn but does not burn up. And then the voice comes out and tells him, Moses, take off your shoes for you stand on holy ground. It was expected that you would take off one's shoes when you entered worship or you entered a home because the shoes were full of soil. And certainly you did so in the presence of Pharaoh. And then the voice says to Moses, I am sending you to my people. I have seen their oppression. I have heard their cries. And I feel and know their pain. And what a wonderful picture of worship. What if every time we came on Sunday morning, and we came with that attitude of taking our shoes off, at least in our hearts, and came with that expectation, Lord, where do you feel this pain in our world? Where are the cries of oppression? And we say, Lord, send me. I hope we keep that as our primary picture of worship each and every time that we come. And so that story continues with that burning bush. Now, I love this interchange. You notice the excuses that Moses, we didn't read all the excuses, we stopped short at verse 12, but it continues on, and he complains that, who am I? Remember, Moses has no identity as a Hebrew or as an Egyptian now. He has no standing anywhere. Who would listen to him? And he certainly 
is not an expert in, in this God. He doesn't even know what name to call him. He wasn't raised with this God. He doesn't have the knowledge that he needs. And then he says in a very practical matter that he is slow of mouth and thick in tongue. I think he's not saying he's got a speech impediment, but more importantly that he just doesn't have those oratory skills. He couldn't convince anybody. Remember, he's been spending all these years talking to sheep and goats. And then he says, and who's going to believe this crazy story? And God gives him a miracle that he can perform so that the people would pay attention and know that he truly was from God. Now, we could draw much from this story, the burning bush. We could focus on the fact that God chose to wait some 80 years before he calls Moses. It'd be easy to say, why does God wait so long? But apparently God knew the right time, and he finally had the right person in Moses to lead his people. We also could take note, as Adam Hamilton does in his book on this, on this Exodus story, and he explains that, isn't it interesting that, that we often pray to God to do something about all the evil and problems in our world and what God chose to do here was not to suspend the laws of nature. He didn't send a myriad of angels. He didn't perform an immediate miracle. Instead, he chose to call an 80-year-old man to go send his people. Any of you that think, now I'm retired, I can sit back and take it easy, think again. But what speaks to me most, what really grabbed my heart when I looked at this story this week, is the difference, the contrast between how Moses saw himself in the area of leadership and how God saw him. What did Moses see? Moses saw somebody in himself that had no place in this world. Moses saw someone who sometimes let his emotions get out of control and sometimes have terrible results. Moses saw Someone who could not speak well. Moses saw himself as just a lowly shepherd who nobody cares about in a place so far from that royal palace. But what did God see? God saw a man now with many years of wisdom and experience. God saw someone who uniquely was trained in the, Hebrew, in the Egyptian language. A Hebrew who knew that language well. Someone raised up in the royal court who understands Egyptian customs and religion and how the Pharaoh ruled. And Moses, he saw someone who had that passion for justice, enough that he would stand up for a fellow Hebrew who would also look out after women who were defenseless. And finally, he saw someone who now had the experience of roaming through that desert wilderness so that he could eventually lead his people through that desert wilderness when the time came and they were free from Egypt. So I ask you, what do you see when you think about your area of influence? Is all that you see your inadequacies, your flaws? If so, I hope that you'll look at yourself through God's eyes and see the potential, see the opportunity, and know the promise that God will equip you and give you what you need to lead where you're called to lead. Would you pray with me, please?
Lord, we thank you for the story of Moses because in so many ways it can be our story. Help us to bring to you our passions, that sense of justice, and the desire to make that difference in the world that you want us to make. And as we prepare for the sacrament of Holy Communion, help us to see that it restores and renews us once again, no matter what has happened this week. For once again, that covenant makes us your people over and over again, no matter how many times we may mess it up. For this we are thankful, through Christ our Lord. Amen.